A famous man once said, we create our own demons. Who said that? What does that even mean? Doesn't matter. I said it because he said it. So now he was famous and basically getting said by two well-known guys. I don't, uh, I'm going to start again. Let's track this from the beginning. Yo, listen up, here's the story About a little guy that lives in a blue world And all day and all night and everything he sees He's back! Welcome to the MCU Gauntlet, a podcast unlike any other MCU podcast. Our gauntlet takes us on a journey from Captain America all the way to Spider-Man Far From Home. Along the way, we break down every film with incredible detail. I'm your host, Luke Shoemaker, and with me, is my extremist super soldier, Graham Thomas. Graham, do you think an Iron Man 4 should have 10,000 Iron Man suits in it? I know how much you love the Iron Man suits. I really do like the Iron Man suit. That's the thing. Like, And to think of Iron Man 4, oh, I just... <laughs> we need to... We need to have a little more oomph than Iron Man 3 did, for sure, in my opinion. Maybe some uh, suits that are fully functional. <laughs> yeah, and you know we'll get into more into that later. But um, I would think that if we if we have an Iron Man four, that you know I would hope and expect that we have the best suit we've ever seen <laughs> to this yes. point. Something uh, to the equivalent of Endgame. So, give me your opening thoughts on this film, Luke. Have you ever done a double feature? I have. I mean, isn't that just the fun, the, the coolest thing to do? Um, you know, you go to the movie, you you get, you go see one movie, then stay for another one. I actually paid for the second one, by the way. I bought two tickets. You know, some people, <laughs> some people just go to the movie and they stay for several others. But you know, at, at our little theater here in town, they can really count bodies. So I made sure I had two tickets, you know, to to go see both of them. But uh, when we talk about Iron Man three, and I remember, I don't remember the day exactly, but I remember what I did that night. And I remember I went and saw Iron Man 3. And then right behind it, I went and saw Star Trek Into Darkness. Two movies that were coming out right around that busy May time we always talking about. And, um, and I wanted to see both of them because there were, you know, supposedly some, some big things happening in them. And certainly in the Star Trek movie, that was the case with the, the reveal there. But um so I had a lot, I had really big expectations for both of those going to that night. Probably, you know, other than the Avengers and Captain America, the, the first time I've gone into, um, into one of these movies with just huge expectations. And, and when I saw Iron Man 3 first, um, you know, I just, it just kind of fell flat for me. And then I sat through Star Trek Into Darkness and I was kind of like, what is this? You know, and as I went back and and rewatched Star Trek Into Dark Into Darkness several times, I've liked it more and more and more and more and more every time I've watched it. I think it's really good, and I can't say the same for Iron Man Three. Um, every time I watch it, I sort of dread it, and we'll get into why that is later. Um, I even think it falls short of Iron Man Two, and Ouch. you know, I I think that's saying something. Was it? Was it rushed? Too much Iron Man too soon? Um, I get frustrated with lots of things about this film, and I think it mostly centers around the glaring lack of Iron Man. 
<laughs> Why is it the Iron Man single films that I feel that Iron Man is very vulnerable, defeated, and that Tony Stark is often outsmarted by the opposition, yet when he's with the Avengers, he's always got everything under control. Even in moments where you don't think he's got everything under control, he's hanging in there with a pretty good fight. And I just didn't feel that way about this one. I feel like this is a different Iron Man in, in this movie than, than other movies. And I really wonder how many Marvel fans were as disappointed as I was in this one. Here, here's where I'm at with it. So I watched this as my first year of teaching was wrapping up. And kids were excited. I was excited. We just had Avengers the summer before. And, you know, maybe a solo film, you know, this would be the, this being the third one would still include some of those people in some type of, you know, fashion and but maybe not. But nevertheless, you know, we wanted to go see what the future was for the MCU because this was the first movie in phase two. And I went to the theater and I didn't know what to think. It was, it was different. It was so different in terms of the plot and the Tony we see on screen, I would say he's the most defeated Tony we get, in uh, my opinion. Like, the Mandarin storyline really threw me off because I was so excited for I thought would be Stark's greatest adversary. On this rewatch, I think the action sequences and the effects they used, they were really, really good. They, I really, didn't they win to get nominated for an Academy Award? Yeah, they got nominated for an Academy Award for that. And, you know, I really thought they hit a home run in the digital department. But in terms of the plot, like, I, I, I get what they were trying to go for, like, this dark, I mean, almost like a darker theme, like, of where they take Tony on his adventure and, like, putting Pepper's life in danger on probably the largest scale we had. But then they also had all this, like, humor that was, some of it was, like, just plain corny. And that's what the MCU really kind of is, is that humor side. But, like, his house blowing up and the Tennessee thing and him just being, like you said, like this was more a Tony Stark. This is Tony Stark one more than Iron Man three. And I think happy sitting on the bench kind of sucked. He was out for like four fifths of the movie, uh, but it's still Iron Man. And by gosh, I still find my, I found myself still enjoying most of it outside of a lot of the issues we're going to discuss. So like you said, this came out May 3rd of 2013. It gets that nomination uh, for special effects. In terms of box office, I think, I mean, looking at those numbers, do you think people were kind of where we were at as far as their excitement level? Yeah. You know, my goal by the end of this podcast is to get you to hate this movie as much as I do. So <laughs> I think so I can do it. You, hey, it'll be a tough sell. So domestically, four hundred nine million dollars that makes it the seventh highest grossing movie in the mcu worldwide it's the second film ever to go over a billion as far as where we're at come 2013 following up um its predecessor the avengers so people went to watch it because like you said once the avengers came out people were going to see marvel movies absolutely they were and maybe that's you know maybe it's partly the Avengers fault as to why this one falls so short because the Avengers was so great. And as we've already revealed, that's someone in particular is uh, number one in the whole podcast in the whole series. So we won't say who that is, but um, yeah, I, you know, $1.2 billion. I mean, that's pretty good. 
Oh, I mean, it's a, they clear a billion over what their budget was, so they definitely hauled in quite the cash. Uh, you can see an uptick in the international numbers as well with the $805 million. So we'll get into cast. Uh, go ahead and open us up with Guy Pierce. Well, I, don't, I don't have the complete breakdown of, of Guy Pierce like uh, you know some of our uh, casting choices do, but when I think of Guy Pierce, my, my goodness, the, the, the movie I think of is Memento. <laughs> What a what a great movie that was, and I know you've got some thoughts about Memento as well. But um, seeing that Guy Pierce movie then led me to go at the old blockbuster, go and rent some old old movies that I missed of his, and one of those is L.A. Confidential, and that was a good one. Um, right around the time I saw Memento, maybe shortly after that was when The Count of Monte Cristo came out, and that was really really good, one of my favorites, and one I can watch over and over. My wife has actually read the book of that one. It is so long. <laughs> took her like two days, though. She can just plow through some books. She's a machine. You know, I had, I was excited about the time machine. Had a really good trailer, and Guy Pierce looked like it was going to, you know, have a good role in it. And you know, that movie itself kind of bombed, but, you know, I kind of secretly like it. Um, I saw The King's Speech. Um, I can't remember Guy Pearce in the King's Speech. I remember Colin Firth plenty, you know. Who could forget that rant of his in it? Mm -hmm. What a good movie that was. My question is, has Guy Pearce's big-time movie career peaked too soon? Oof. I, I think the answer to that question is, is a probably a yes. You know, for our listeners out there, I have an extreme affection towards the movie Memento. I think it's one of the biggest snubs in Oscar history for the last 20 years. It's, it was Christopher Nolan's coming out party, and it's a very interesting storyline, and he does a fantastic job. He's excellent in it. And I, too, I love L.A. Confidential, a very underrated movie with a blockbuster cast. Other movies that he had a role in, and did very well, but they were all smaller roles. So the opening of the movie Hurt Locker, which went on to win the award for Best Picture, he's in maybe five minutes of it, but he does well in his five minutes. But it's so strange. It's like you talk about, did he peak too soon? Uh, the movie The Road, he's in the last 10 minutes. Uh, in King's Speech, he plays King Edward VII, which is King George's brother that abdicated the throne. Uh, he's in that movie for only a small chunk. And, you know, he's really good every time I see him on screens. And I can't really put my finger on what happened. Like in the last 10 years, his only solid role was a four-year run on a TV series called Jack Irish. I'm not sure what happened. He had yeah, something to this movie, but do you know what happened? I don't, I don't, I don't know. Did, it's very odd. Did he get Val Kilmer, Kilmer syndrome? You know, Val Kilmer looked like he might have been a budding star. Then his career just fell off the planet, you know? Yeah, I, 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 the thing with Kilmer, he put on a ton of weight. It's like Guy Pierce still looks the same today. So I don't know. Maybe there was underlying issues. I know Val Kilmer's went through some. You know, we never know with these big stars. Yeah, I, I don't know. But um, after Memento, I was like, man, this guy's going to be in just all kinds of good stuff. And then I thought that after the Count of Monte Cristo, and you know, and it just it just hasn't worked out that way though. Yeah, and he plays a he's the bad guy in Monte Cristo, right? Opposite he is Edmund Dantes. Yes. Yeah, he's he's good in that. And you know the He's really a jerk in that. I mean, he's really oh. convincing. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And it's a good watch. The time machine. And I loved the novel, H. G. Wells, but 
the movie had just had I, it, some of it was I guess too too much for some people, but I still it's still fun to like watch it after reading the book that came out so many years ago. Uh, we'll get into another actor, Ben Kingsley, Sir Ben Kingsley, as uh, the Mandarin. You know, you thought I had a had a like a huge fan crush on Fabs and Tony Stark. Wait till you hear me talk about Ben Kingsley. Well, you just go on ahead, sir. He he, uh, he's one of the top five to ten greatest actors north of 75 well, and you're like well luke that's a small field that's like saying someone leads the league in rbis in the month of september well let, let me throw out some names here robert de Niro, al pacino christopher Plummer, morgan freeman anthony hopkins michael kane i like kinsley is up there with those guys he how he do you not have sean connery on this list too sean connery isn't a working actor i tried to throw okay. in guys that are still putting out well, you, you didn't specify that in the notes Ah, well, ones that are currently working in Hollywood, all the guys I threw out there are still putting in, putting together movies or they have movies coming out. Uh, Kingsley has an Oscar for Gandhi. He has four other Oscar nominations. And what's crazy about his career, those, all those nominations have come towards the back end of his career. So movies like Bugsy is great. Uh, Schindler's List, Sexy Beast, House of Sand and Fog. He's in Oliver Twist, uh, Shutter Island in 2010, opposite Leonardo DiCaprio. And he's got such a voice. This is like another MCU Jungle Book crossover because we talked about Idris Elba. Uh, ben Kingsley voices Bagheera, and he's great in that. Like, get out and watch some Ben Kingsley for anyone out there. I would start with House of Sand and Fog. It's a really good uh, movie of his. I, you know, honestly, just haven't, haven't seen a lot of his movies in it now now that i'm looking at your list here some of his really highlights the jungle book that's about the only one i think that that i've <laughs> uh <laughs> and you don't even see him he's a voice of the panther he is so. a voice if hey, for the sci-fi people out there ender's game which there was a, a i think film. i have seen ender's game okay he's in that with ford and it, that's yeah, Harrison i, I enjoy that yeah I, I seem to remember that being a good movie. It wasn't just overly fantastic for me, but yeah, I have very high standards. So, <laughs> but he's good in this movie. Like his his role, at least I enjoy his role in this movie. And I, I would agree. I think one of the one bright spots of this movie is how convincing he is as the Mandarin, and what a goof he is when he's not in his role. And what was the soccer teams that were playing? in the background in his have you figured that one out i did not pause it to look and uh, now that you said that i need to go back and see who's following uh it's funny you said about like when you find like spoiler alert but had they decided to go with like the psychopathic terrorists and just kept him what we thought he was i think he still would have been great in that it was a very wild twist but he does a good job fooling us right yeah i think so too um well, we're getting more into my opinion of, of that in a little bit. I got Mr. an interesting, interesting take on it. Hey, all right. And so Robert Downey Jr., of course, reprises Tony Stark slash Iron Man. The fourth time we have discussed him on our pod. Um, but I just want to pose this question. So based on like, like Tony going through such a devastating time mentally, like the panic attacks, all his house being destroyed, uh, his foundation of his relationship with Pepper, maybe is crumbling. What did you think of 
his ability to portray like a much more beaten or broken Tony. I mean, I felt like Robert Downey Jr. was all over the place in this film, and maybe that was how it was intended to be. Um, his life, you know, Tony's life was a wreck. He was a wreck. He, you know, but I kind of feel like that's how he is in all of the solo films when he doesn't have his support group around him. And I don't know, maybe I'm just looking at this through rose colored lenses. I don't know, but I just don't, I think Robert Downey Jr. was fine. I think it was poorly written. You know, he did the best he could with what he had. Gotcha. I think he just absolutely hate Tony Stark, Robert Downey Jr., and Iron Man all in yep, one. That's that's probably it. <laughs> what about Don Cheadle again as Rhodey? You know, I didn't feel like we got enough of him. I think kind of like what you what you think. Um, he just his role was kind of um, diminished a little bit. You know. Yeah, it's like he's really he's great. Like. I, I do wish now that whatever role he was supposed to have in Endgame, that it would have really happened because he rocks his war machine. He can, like, flip the switch between being the drama sequences, the action sequences, and the humorous parts all in a blink of an eye, and he has great chemistry with Tony. Like, give me more roadie. Can we get a war machine solo film? Would Whoa, people... hold up there, Tiger. I don't know about that. I think I would I would watch it. That's not, when I say solo film, let's go Disney Plus launch, not full feature film launch, but like something on Disney Plus, bring him in in some capacity. I would have even liked him on The Avengers. Like Don Cheadle's a really good actor, and they underutilized him more than maybe anyone in the Iron Man series. But he is a member of The Avengers, you know? If you go into Endgame, he's, in, he's there. Well, yes, but I'm talking about the event, the one we just had a podcast on. Oh, he's, oh, he's yeah. No show. He's a no show, but he was in Iron Man too. It's just very odd to me. Yeah, it would be interesting to get the ins and outs of, you know, you ever watch the TV show Mask? Yes. The, the cartoon and how I always wondered, like, you know, which characters are we going to get to see today when they when um, Spectrum decides, you know, which. Which which heroes are going to be in this episode? You know, maybe the same thing with these movies. Like, well, which which ones are we going to pull for for this time? And what's the think the thought process that goes behind that? Because if you think about it, what was Rhodey doing when on the Battle of New York, I mean, I don't know. You know, you would think he'd want to help, right? You'd he's think got he'd, a fl- suit. he'd fly in there. He's friends with Tony. Like, you know, he works for the military. Is it's just now that I sort of think about it, that's that was a weird omission. Speaking yeah. of roles getting a little weird, Gwyneth Paltrow, Pepper Potts, your thoughts on Paltrow like fighting and being in more action sequences? What about Super well, Pepper? You know, you almost knew this day had to come, right? <laughs> they, you know, how many how many times can she be the damsel in distress and all that? I, you know, eventually the 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 world had to turn for her, and um, I don't know quite know what I think about that. Um, you know, her, wouldn't we say this is the last movie where she sort of has a big role from here on out, just kind of minor hits and, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. Yeah. Until we get to like in game and that last sequence, like that's the most dial, maybe in infinity war, we get a little bit of dialogue, but in terms of dialogue, what else? What else does she really do in the MCU? Maybe is it Ultron? And when we get to, I don't, I don't really recall much of her after this. 
Well, yeah, we're just little bits and pieces. You know, she was in Spider-Man, Homecoming, um, you know, just different things here and there. And I, I just remember this is her last big, big major part. Yeah, and it was a very interesting one for that. So our our guy, Paul Bettany, as Jarvis, we're slowly moving away from his voice. Like, he's finally going to be on screen so we can see him. But I will miss him as Jarvis because the relationship between Tony and Jarvis is one of my best in terms of, like, his AI. He's just fabulous. You know, he's pretty funny, too. Oh, yeah. Some of the, well, you know, some of the one-liners are, are pretty good. I And you don't really get as much of that when we get into, like uh, – Karen or whatever he the all the other AIs we start to uh, get from Tony Friday I think is another one so our boy Favs he gets to be in the first fourth of the movie and I think he's great in it and then they sit him on the bench for the rest of the movie what were your thoughts on that you know how about his hair in that opening sequence I mean, um his pub is bolo tie <laughs> <laughs> it was it was I'll get into that later about my that scene. I just you know why you know I wonder what he thought of that. Maybe he was happy for me. It. it was the easiest money he ever made. Right. You and know? now I want to get into the director notes here. He did kind of help in that regard on on a smaller scale. So speaking of director Shane Black. This was the second directing credit of his entire career. The only one he had before this was Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which was an 05, which also had Robert Downey Jr., who kind of pitched that Shane Black take over for Fabs. Uh, he also did The Nice Guys, which is an underrated Gosling-Russell Crowe movie from 2015. Uh, he took part in The Predator in 2018, but like a lot of his career has been on the writing side. But I'm going to throw out three big action movies from like the late 80s and early 90s. They did the screenplay for that I absolutely love. So we have Last Action Hero, starring Arnold, and it's like was such a fun watch growing up. The Last Boy Scout in 91, this is a Bruce Willis film with uh, Damon Wayans, and like, it literally opens with a football player pulling a gun from his pants and shooting his way to the end zone. So talk about like a, setting the stage for a wild 90s Bruce Willis action film. And then Lethal Weapon. Like, this is not my favorite Iron Man movie, but those three are really good action movies that I love, but I don't know how I feel about him behind the camera. You know, Lethal Weapon and the Lethal Weapon franchise is one of my favorites. Um, I don't get to watch them a whole lot because of the ratings and, you know, just having kids around. But, man, I love Riggs and Murtaugh. And, you know, they're the humor in Lethal Weapon and the action is just, fabulous um the last action hero it's been a long time i know you know a lot you know the arnold movies are are so much fun though true lies last action hero they're just a lot of fun i, I haven't seen the last boy scout uh, it sounds you know bruce willis movies are always good right but um as far as shane black goes you know the the second directing credit of his career um you know, you're, you're kind of taking a risk a little bit uh, on such a big movie like this, but they went for it. Um, I'm not sure it, it played out for him, though. It, I mean, here's the thing. If your first one's in 2005, and I get that he's more of a writer, and you have an 
like an eight year hiatus, odds are you're gonna be a little rusty. And there was a lot of rust on uh, this Iron Man film. He also contributes to writing, but another writer on there was Drew Pierce. A ton of television before this movie. And he has some other problem. He has some other projects he works on after this. So he kind of starts the reboot on Mission Impossible with Rogue Nation. Uh, he does Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw, which fans love. And he's written scripts for Robert Downey Jr. You know, look, he's done a movie for Downey Jr., Dave Bautista, Jason Statham, The Rock. You know, not a bad action group. But that being said, like, what was Disney thinking bringing in two individuals? with not a lot of experience, with not a lot of movies that people absolutely love, and they use them to replace our guy Favs. And it's really shocking that Favs and Downey Jr. are the ones who really push both of these men. I'm just kind of confused. What do you think Disney's thought process on selecting directors and writers was? Maybe they were just thinking, you know, it's kind of like we have this hot prospect and we really believe in him and we're going to really go with it. And it just didn't work out. You know, sometimes they don't work out. That's that's true. Potential is a, is a scary thing. Um, any other thoughts on cast, directing, or writing? No, we're good. On to trivia night. Trivia night. We have a we have a tons of fun facts out there for our listeners. Start us off with one of yours, G. Okay, I'm going to lead off with with my favorite one. I, I just can't. This is boggles my mind. The first cut of this movie was three hours and fifteen minutes long. The final cut was two hours and ten minutes. What There's an that? hour and a half, or an hour and five <laughs> minutes. Holy Moses! I mean, yes, I don't know what that looks like. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? If you just you're a writer, what what other plot could they explored? Maybe they had more of Tony in his suit. <laughs> you would have liked that, wouldn't? <laughs> if they, they had more of Killian and his, you know, experimentation and and invention, I I have no idea. That's you know? a lot of times you with movies you get a release, you get what's called the director's cut. I would have really liked to have seen a copy of that to see what these because think about from a filming standpoint, they did a lot of filming for that cut, and then they just like oh, let's take an hour off. Very bizarre. Yeah, you know, it makes you wonder why what was cut, why it was cut, you know. I'm sure there's some deleted scenes out there that I don't, you know, have access to, but man, I mean that's that's a long movie, man. That's longer than Endgame. That is gonna say it's that's a long superhero movie. Uh one of my trivia night facts, only Iron Man movie not to feature any songs by A C D C and for me that's a travesty. It left them out. You know, I didn't even realize that until I saw it on the trivia, and I was like, I might <laughs> put that on there. That's interesting. That's that's just that's something that's something I love about the movies is when they throw that because that's like kind of up Tony's persona. And when we get him fixing the Mark Forty Two or working on that, he's listening to you know Jingle Bell Rock or something like that. What's another <laughs> trivia night for you? How about the the idea that Happy Hogan's favorite television show is Downton Abbey? And that was John Fav's idea, who was actually a big fan of the series. I, I just thought that was kind of neat, you know, blending a little this and that. Right, bringing some real life passion into a... a, a it kind of reminds me of, you've ever watched Major League Two, 
and our manager Lou Brown is in the hospital and he's listening to the Indians on his radio but he has some BBC similar show on the TV it kind of reminded me <laughs> reminded me of that uh, for my uh, trivia night my next one so which I thought was bizarre when I'm watching the movie the dragon tattoos on Guy Pierce's chest uh, they're of another Iron Man villain from the comics called Thin Fang Foom. It's just, it's just wild. Like I don't the tattoo part. You have one as well. It's a really weird place. And I guess I just wanted to put a little Easter eggs into the film. Yeah, and, the, and speaking of the tattoos, you know, there's another one that the Mandarin has on his neck of Captain America's shield with an anarchist A symbol in, in the center instead of a star. I didn't see him when I was watching. Sometimes you're able to catch stuff like that. I just, I mean, that, that takes a lot of work to be able to spot that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and our boy, Trevor Slattery in this movie, he went all in for the role of the Mandarin. If he went and got that tattoo, as far as story arc goes, um, one for me. So the upcoming Shang-Chi and the legend of the 10 rings, it is expected to be released in 2022. Uh, it's rumored to feature the real Mandarin, the le- actual leader of the Ten Rings, dating back to the original Iron Man. And the Mandarin is a big part of the comics. It's a little strange to me that he decided to go that route when we have this movie all the years earlier, showing that the, we had a, like a faux Mandarin. It's very, yeah. it's a very wild maybe, idea. Maybe they're going to tie that in somewhere. You know, kind of like how, you know. When when Fox made X Men: Days of Future Past, we're like, there's Patrick Stewart, and he's alive, and this is you know what is happening here, and they did a nice job of of tying those two together, sort of, I guess. Maybe, <laughs> maybe uh, I, I say that because I I like that X Men movie, but um, man, the the X Three, oh, horrible. Uh, there's a few of them. If we ever do a, an X Men gauntlet, it will be a lot of it will be similar to my Hulk takes. Yeah, I guess what I'm what I'm saying though is <clears throat> maybe they're going to find a way to, to kind of tie all that together. You know, they've, you know, they've, some, they've had to yeah. have had that discussion in editorial meetings, and they have smart brains over there. So I would imagine they they'll find a great way to uh, bring it all together. Give me, <clears> give <throat> us our listeners your last one here. This is an all right, la- one. last one. So. Although Tony Stark has created up to 42 suits in the movie, he only dons a select few, these being the Mark 7, the Mark 15, Sneaky, 16, which is Nightclub, 33 with the Silver Centurion, XL Shotgun, and of course, the, X, the, uh, the, 40, the 42. And he would have at one point won the Mark 22 Hot Rod, during the final battle, if it hadn't been taken out by an extremist soldier a split second before he could suit up. So, I mean, you just get overwhelmed by the amount of suits in this thing. And, you know, I'll I'll say it right here and again, it's just amazing to me how easily they're blown up. I mean, just blown to smithereens. Even, yeah, like on the bridge, when we find out he's not inside the suit, it's like that truck just tears it apart, right? Yeah, I mean... Think about the damage that Tony endured when he was fighting Thor and some of these other dudes in, in his suit. 
Thanos even. I mean, maybe, maybe Stark Industries is cutting costs. This was around the housing market collapsing, you know, and the downfall coming from that. Maybe they had yeah. lost some money and he had some cheap materials. These suits do not measure up to the standard he has set. <laughs> that brings us to our rundown. So, kind of touched on. So the movie opens in 1999, but this is after we get a brief like narration by Tony. And we see some of the Iron Man suits being destroyed. And he stops mid-narration to cycle back to 99. And he's in Bern, Switzerland. So fun fact about my family, the Shoemakers originally hailed from Bern, Switzerland. And in this movie, we see Tony and he's with a scientist who's named Maya Hansen. And he has another scientist that tries to approach him named Aldrich Killian, and he wants Tony's backing for a think tank project called AIM. Um, AOL Instant Messenger, right? Yeah, right. That's the first thing I thought of. And then he shows the shirt. It says Advanced Idea Mechanics. But we also get a fun callback to Jensen from Iron Man 1, who says in the cave that he met Tony in Burn. But he says a common value. Yeah, I wouldn't remember me either if I was that drunk. So, you know, here's Tony being drunk. at the. So I love that tie back. How'd you feel about seeing Jensen? I completely, completely caught me off guard. Um, <laughs> yeah. It... I, you know, because I, you know, I've, I think I, one of my critiques of the Iron Man podcast was we don't get any more Jensen, and we really don't. I mean, this is just a very small, small oh, yeah, callback. What, 20 seconds, so. We do find that Maya has some research. She's working on this experimental plant uh, in her research, and it causes the DNA to change drastically. The whole purpose of it is to cure incurable diseases and paralysis. Uh, while Tony and her are being intimate, in fact, the plant explodes because there is issues with the project. And then, you know, even Happy is. I love that scene when he runs in to tackle Tony to protect him. That's, I mean, our boy Happy. You know, yep. I didn't realize that the relationship was one that had been, you know, worked that far back. I'm glad this movie kind of showed that. Yeah, and kind of the peak of the movie for him. A lot of than the the things that happen at the Chinese theater, uh, you know. Yeah, this, this is. We only get so much Happy. So Tony flashes us back to, or flashes us forward, and it's December of 2012 so a little time has passed since the battle of new york uh when tony and the avengers you know saved new york from the attack and we see that tony is he's gone through some stuff and he's haunted by everything that happened and he's just building iron man suit after iron man suit after iron man suit uh he's working on a, a new way for his suit to basically track his movements and fly and attach to him quickly. Uh, so it, at any given moment, he'll be able to fight. Uh, the first attempt of trying to get this to work, you know, he's in the lab playing jingle bells. He's kind of like dancing around or whatever. And, you know, Jarvis is like, you know, I'd give you the security protocol, but you're not going to read it. And obviously it doesn't go like Tony would, you know expected it to go it goes completely wrong and of course Jarvis gloats have they done overkill on Tony assembling suits in the lab at this point I mean there's a good argument for that like we get the same thing in almost all three right yeah we do I mean it's <laughs> I that's I agree with you in that regard that was a bad look for my guy 
you know, and it'd be one thing if all the suits were were effective. Maybe the movie wouldn't have been as interesting then, you know, because he just would have blown through the the competition. But um, when I think of Iron Man, you know, I think of that suit as being almost indestructible. Yeah. Like the very first one he created in the cave. That thing was just brutal. And But it was awesome, you know. And these were not. And I have a really, really hard time getting past that. I mean, extremely hard. It's almost like he's rushing the completion of each one because I'm getting a little ahead of ourselves. But when he goes up to talk to, you know, later when he talks to Pepper, she's like, you know, what is that? Mark 10. And he, you know, he looks down and sees the 42. He's like, yeah, yeah, something like that. It's like he's just <laughs> like they're not finished projects or something. Uh, but Tony, you know, after after this moment, we get to see a cut in on all television networks and a message from the Mandarin and the Mandarin hijacks all these airwaves. And he, t- he takes credit for this, U- this bombing of a U.S. military station in Kuwait that killed the wives and the children of all, while the soldiers were doing their maneuvers. And then the president's response, shout out to our president here. He, he has a role in Shawshank Redemption for our fans who uh, love that film. And his response is to basically change the paint color of War Machine and call him Iron Patriot, and it gets crushed by the media. <laughs> I, I'm so glad that we didn't stick with this. Oh, you know, for I, the entirety of the I arc? Like oh, the this would have been job. terrible. I like the paint job, but, I mean, War Machine, come on, man. War Machine sounds great. It, it is funny. So that takes us to the next scene where Tony – and Rhodes are sitting at a restaurant and, and Tony's trying to get some feedback about the Mandarin. And, uh, you know, you know, the, the press only knows of three bombings, but, um, Rhodes is like, it's a lot more. It's some, somewhere North of six. And then Rhodes tries to explain the rationale behind calling it iron Patriot. And he said, it tested well, it tested well. And Tony's just, you know, classic ribbing of a friend while they're sitting there. Uh, a young man comes up, and Tony makes a joke about him looking like Ralphie from A Christmas Story. Who, uh, by the way, a little trivia there. When I was a kid, supposedly I looked like Ralphie. I need pictures. I need pictures now, and you will shoot your eye out. <laughs> the, yeah, there's the another girl, joke about that, too. I don't know if you saw it in the trivia, but Peter Billingsley, the guy who played Ralphie, yes, actually worked on Iron Man 1. Wow. It's very small world. This, uh, with our little Ralphie, there's a girl and she's asking Tony about the wormhole and he's, he's like trying to do an autograph and it just freaks, he just freaks out. And he has, he has a panic attack as he rushes towards, you know, the Iron Man suit and he's asking Jarvis to like check his vitals and Jarvis like, dude, you're having a massive anxiety attack. We, you need to get out of here. And that kind of shows just where Tony's at in his mental psyche. He is falling apart. Yeah, and it's almost kind of like he's on this downward spiral. You know, he's just getting worse and worse as we go. Yeah, and, you know, and we'll, we'll get more into that because back at Stark Industries, uh, Pepper is supposed to meet her 4 o'clock appointment, and it's someone she said she had worked with or so she knew at least, and when she walks in, there's our guy Aldrich Killian, and he looks nothing like he did when he was in Bern, Switzerland. Not No cane. The long hair, the bad teeth, all that's gone. 
And he's trying to sell her on this biological experiment called Extremis. And she talks about, he talks about how it alters the DNA and it helps heal people. And he gives this huge, this great display. And he's kind of flirting with her and she's kind of enjoying it so much so that, you know, Happy, who's now the head of security at Stark Industries, uh, you know, he immediately calls Tony and he starts to, you know, to kind of tell him, hey, what's, look at what's going on. Look at this, look at that. And, um, I, that is one of my favorite quotes when he talks about the Avengers and all that, but this kind of gets Tony intrigued. So Tony buys this gigantic, what did you think of the gigantic stuffed bunny that he buys Pepper for a Christmas gift? I just, I couldn't <laughs> figure out what the point was. It was a weird. Of all the gifts you can give a beautiful woman like Pepper Potts and your, your riches are endless. Why a giant stuffed bunny? He's just not good at this. It's like the strawberries from Iron Man 1. Um, or 2, sorry, from Iron Man 2. When Pepper comes home, she sees the bunny, and then she finds what she thinks is Tony sitting on the couch in an Iron Man suit. Uh, but she quickly finds out that it's a prototype suit and that he's controlling it remotely using this heads-up display. Uh, it's a fun scene, but it's wild. Because I forgot that he's not actually in the suit. Yeah, I forgot too. And um, I actually forgot about it again later in the movie. Oh, the, yeah. That, on the barrel of monkeys. But, yeah. Um, and it's just disappointing. Like, I, you know, I mean, it was funny on that scene, but it's not funny elsewhere. Yeah. You know? I mean, I understand his use later on, why he uses the remote control. But after their little scene and they, they you know, they go to have a romantic moment to try to get past this that night. He has another PTSD, you know, trauma where he flashes back to New York and he wakes up so startled that when Pepper reaches over to touch him, the Iron Man suits in the bedroom and it's like about to protect him and he shuts it offline and it freaks Pepper out. She's so frustrated. So and think so about that. A, a normal Tony Stark who's, you know, in distress and stress is able to get that Iron Man suit down. What I thought I saw him was with his own hands. He you does. Know? He lifts his hands up and he says, you know, like, uh, power down. Okay. Well, I think he crushed it, right? He destroyed it. Yeah, he was like, well, I mean, he was trying to, I guess, show Pepper. Like, oh, no, 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 it's fine. But she's like, you know, fix this. Like, I'm going to, I'm leaving. I'm going to go somewhere else you go do since you haven't been sleeping you go tinker away because this is getting out of hand which it is he's building you know 42 different suits what, what's the rationale behind that yeah and i think we should have known then that you know some of the suits were garbage i, I don't know lots of problems yeah. rushed ideas he probably has, he has so much going on in his head that he never really had a full functioning plan i guess so the next day happy Happy follows one of Killian's men that he runs into, Eric Savin, and um, they're at the Grauman's Chinese Theater there in Los Angeles. Uh, Savin gives another man a briefcase, and, and ha Happy tries to kind of do his own little espionage, like, you know, try to help out, see what's going on. He gets kind of beaten up, and but while this is going on, the Taggart guy, he is like the plant from the beginning of the movie. He, he overheats and he explodes. And Happy is severely injured, 
And once again, the Mandarin hijacks TVs and he takes responsibility for the blast yet again. So the Tiger guy, so that was kind of a callback to me to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because I think the main general in that one is also Taggart. I think. Okay. I'm, not, I'm not sure about that. Maybe it's I will say I a, a fun fact is the where, the where Taggart is sitting is right where Robert Downey Jr.'s star is at the Grauman Chinese Theater. Wow. That's... So you know, they, they threw that little nod to our star in. Tony, though, he's, he is so upset about this because Happy is left comatose. And, you know, he visits the hospital and, and you know, he even he – obviously he knows a lot about Happy because he says, hey, make sure that you play you, – you talked about downtown Abbey, about them playing that. Uh, I like to see some of that humanity from Tony because you never really know what he – how much he cares about the people around him. Uh but I love this next scene. Now, this is one of my favorite scenes of the movie, just about how this is him being brash again. What do you think about when Tony comes out of the hospital, all those reporters are there, and he goes on this, like, come get me, here's my address. What did you think about that scene? Well, it's a reporter's dream. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, golly, you're going to sell a ton. Yeah, and I have some, you know, I don't know, I – I thought about adding that, that, that quote to the list. I can't remember if you did or not, but it was a great quote um, of, of him, you know, giving his address on national TV and come and get me. And, you know, sure enough, they do. And uh, they, they call this bluff, right? Definitely. And that leads me, you know, we're not at the, the Tony Stark questions corner, but how do they get, you know, how does it just get, so bad so easily when they're at the house you know he, he should have known he even said he knew that that he should have been prepared to expect something it's 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 mind-blowing it's one of mine further on uh but we do get tony after he leaves there he goes home and he starts to use kind of a hologram model to try to figure out what exactly is happening and he does find the dog tags with the name on it he starts to do this little rabbit trail with all these little crumbs and he starts to find similar blasts with similar scenarios and variables. And, you know, there's one that happened in Rose Hill, Tennessee. And, and this predates any known Mandarin attacks. So Tony asked Jarvis, you know, create a flight plan to, you know, Tennessee. Uh, but while he's doing this, he gets interrupted. The doorbell rings. And, you know, he's very paranoid. And, and he's shocked that someone got all the way to the door, which I am too. And it turns out to be Maya Hansen from the beginning. And she thinks Tony's in danger. And, and Pepper shows up. And Pepper's like, oh, great. And it's an ex-girlfriend. While they're sitting there, we see three helicopter gunships. Disguises new chop, news choppers are flying in. Uh, Tony uses the Mark 42 to cover Pepper to protect her as the helicopters absolutely lay waste to his home. House crumbles and falls into the sea, taking Tony with it. Uh, and fortunate, I mean, Tony almost dies here. This is the closest we see him to death, almost, until obviously where we, we get to the end of our saga, but just a wild sequence. Great visual effects, though. Yeah, I mean, that, that house gets blown to smithereens. It's kind of hard to watch because he's got such a cool house, you know? Um, oh, like all the cars falling into the water? That is, it's terrible. Oh, yeah. I, 
it, it's it's visually something to watch, but for me, it's just tough because I've always enjoyed his house. Oh, me too. I, I do love as the slow motion explosion and the suit being put on Pepper. I think that's a pretty cool uh, little scene there that they put together. And probably a foreshadowing of, of things to come. You right. Know. They, they had some foresight. Uh, a little while later, uh, Tony wakes up and Jarvis is like, uh, yeah, you have 5% of power left, which what an odd number to set your little alarm at if Jarvis knows Tony's asleep. But nevertheless, Tony crashes and there's snow everywhere. And he thinks he's in Northern California, but Jarvis is like, no, we're five miles outside Rose, Tennessee. Remember you told me to make a flight plan to Rose, Tennessee. And Tony's like, why, why? And you know, as he's arguing, Jarvis shuts himself down because there's no power left. Um, this is when the movie starts to get a little, it's, this is where it gets a little wild. Yeah, I mean, it, it it takes a different spin here than the other Iron Man's do because there's no suit, essentially, you know. He's yeah, got that for... one suit that he crashed in, but it's broken and, you know. Actually, I mean, it's kind of one of my favorite parts of the movie, despite there's really no Iron Man in it. You know, there's a little more character development and we kind of see what's going on. That is true because he takes that Mark 42 to what he thinks is an abandoned house and he's working on it in the shed with all these tools that are in there. And this 10-year-old boy walks in named Harley. And he's stunned to see, that's Tony Stark. That's Iron Man's suit. And uh, we get this fun scene where Tony asks for all this different stuff from Harley. Uh, we get to find that Harley uh, doesn't really have a father around. Uh, Tony just calls himself the mechanic. And they start to build this kind of uh, rapport. And once again, anytime New York's brought up, Tony starts freaking out. Yeah. It's kind of cool seeing him with the kid, though. That's you know, a different really side of him. Had a lot, a lot, yeah, it's, we haven't seen a lot of that. Back at the mansion, you know, Pepper, she finally, she finds a helmet of an Iron Man suit. She puts it on. She, gets to, she sees that Tony is, in fact, alive. Uh, because of the voicemail that was left for him. Um, and then we get a flashback to Tony and more of him with Harley. Uh, but Tony finally gets Jarvis back online and uh, starts to kind of develop a little bit of a plan. And part of that plan is investigating this suicide bombing that takes place in this town. And Tony notices that there's five shadows from the five victims who were killed. Uh, and he started, he's trying to tie the knots together of what happens to the people who are sent to these sites and maybe what happened to Chad Davis. Yeah, the whole five shadows thing, I, I guess I didn't understand the significance of that. You put a shadow over someone who's killed, I, I don't know. I guess it's implying that Chad Davis, where is his, like, that he, like, no one at this point knows that it's actual people exploding. They just think it's a bomb, but if Chad Davis had been there, maybe his shadow would have been there as well is what Tony's kind of thinking. But Tony does go to meet with the mother of Chad Davis. And on his way there, um, one of Killian's agents, Ellen Brandt, uh, she, she shows up and she acts like she's a Homeland security person, but it's clear she's another extremist soldier. Uh, 
we get this we get this fun sequence of Tony showing off his ability to improvise and to stay alive without a suit. Like he's very MacGyver like in how he kills handles her and how he ultimately gets you know to the car with a little help from Harley. You know, and I had forgotten about Ellen Brandt and, and the role that she has in all this. It just um I've forgotten a lot of things about this movie, but you know, you do see sort of a human side to him because he doesn't have the suit to rely on. And um while that's great, like I, I enjoy that those those type of things. I'm there to see Iron Man, you know? Yeah. And I'm I'm starting to feel like are we ever going to get to see Iron Man again? It it is strange that I mean I understand like I said in the opening that they're trying to I guess show maybe a different Tony than we're used to and go a different route, but that isn't why people go to see Iron Man. Like yeah. we go to see Iron Man to see him being Iron Man, so it, it's not like Bruce Wayne Batman. Like it's just different for sure. Uh, yeah. We do get another scene of the Mandarin hijacking airwaves. He's threatening to kill someone on live television. Uh, you know, there the president uh, calls him because he's like, uh, you know, he, if I call him, maybe he won't kill this person. But the Mandarin shoots the man anyway, and he says the president is next. He, he contacts Rhodey, uh, who thinks he's found the Mandarin, and he's at the Middle East, and he's shocked that. You know, where he goes, there's no Mandarin. It's like he's on a wild goose chase, and the intelligence they're getting is wrong. And he also finds that there's this, in the file he got from the mother of the soldier in Tennessee, it was a, it was a document from Advanced Idea Mechanics, which is Killian's company, where we start to see that they're just the big bad in all of this. Yeah, and, you know, some of the some of the realities start to reveal themselves a little bit, but I think we all kind of knew which way it was going. You know? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, we started to see the little breadcrumbs slowly start to lead us down that trail. Uh, Tony needing some type of computer to help him. We'll get into like how he gets access to so many different things in his Tennessee journey, but he finds this, uh, this van and the anchor the reporter helps him uh, with the technology side, and, and Tony gets to dive deeper into all of the things that go on within the extremist program, and he starts to figure out everything that's going on. Uh, in fact, he sees test footage that shows all the different people that they tested it on, including Ellen Brandt, who was an amputee, and it throws her arm back. Uh, you know, Tony's figured it out. Tony now knows. Uh, for the most part, what he has to do. Rhodes, however, when he gets to the Middle East, there's no Mandarin, and one of Killian's agents disarms him and knocks him unconscious. So now Rhodey's out of the game. Like, golly, we can't get anyone doing anything right around here. Yeah, and just real disappointment, you know. He's got that all-great suit and, you know, is disarmed by – a piddly agent, as I would call them. Right. So much for Iron Patriot. I will say this leads to Tony, you know, he's going to have to go infiltrate the 
the Miami Florida compound. And so he buys all this random stuff and he makes like his own uh, very you know, unique weapons to, and he gets through the compound through all those guys. Like how quickly he gets to the Mandarin without actually having an Iron Man suit is, is, is awesome. It's kind of awesome. Yeah, it's, it's really neat. When he does get there, though, we get to figure out that the person that we thought the Mandarin was, well, that was all a facade. It's actually a paid actor who's supposed to act like he is a psychopath terrorist and that he's not, that he was hired by eventually get out that it was Killian. And, uh, you know, Tony's like, I got to go confront him. Rhodes stays behind, try to get more information out of our guy here. Uh, but Tony gets captured and, you know, by some more of these henchmen. And Maya reveals she's been working with Killian to Pepper. So basically, here's the body count here. Aldrich has Pepper and he's putting her under extremists and they need Tony's help. They, they're basically blackmailing Tony to fix the serum because he is known as maybe the smartest man on earth outside of. No, maybe Bruce Banner, right up there. I mean, yeah, he. There's no doubt in his intelligence. It's just, what what are we losing something from these Iron Man movies where you just don't get it in full? You know, he's just the focus isn't there. He, you know, could have had more of this. Maybe he goes through these. Maybe him going through these thing. Like we only learn like from the coach side of things. Some of our biggest defeats help us obtain some of our biggest wins maybe this is like him losing here helps him win in those big ones i don't know i don't know what the plan was there i don't know either um yeah it's 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 wild it's almost as wild as savin taking control of the iron patriot suit and boarding the president's plane and i'll get in i'll get into one of my things that i hate about that scene later but on the plane, Savin, you know, shoots the Secret Service guys. He snatches the president. He blows a hole out the side of it. And Iron Man al- arrives. And all these people, all these bodies start flying out of the thing. And Iron Man, uh, you know, he, he kills Savin. And he saves all of those people that are falling out of that plane because he has to think quickly. Jarvis tells him he can only probably carry four, so he uses like this electrical current thing. It's, it's I love the scene in itself. Just had a lot of words on that one, though. I, it's I know you don't like the next part because when he gets when it gets to the bridge, we find out after that truck hits him that Tony's been remote controlling it, and he's not even in the suit well, at all. I want I want to go back to it. Okay, here, here's what I want to say. I'd, I'd like to know how they filmed that. You know, that was pretty cool. Yeah, you know, I, that's I, what I, I love I, about it. I mean, I just, I, I don't know how they would have filmed that. How do you, you know, do you string them up and then, you know, blow all this wind underneath them to look like they're flying down? I'd, I'd love to know how they filmed it. Some great movie magic for sure. As we progress here, Tony and Rhodes, they, they, they track Aldrich Killian. Uh, obviously his plan, he's going to kill the president on live TV and make the vice president his puppet leader that follows his his orders because the vice president needs the extremists to cure his little girl's disability. Uh, Once they get to the shipyard of this port in Miami, 
Tony, you know, he tries a new strategy and he asks Jarvis to enact the house party protocol, which then unleashes, unleashes our iron army with all of the different suits that you love so much. <laughs> Uh, you know, it was cool when they showed up. I was like, all right, here we go. And then just utter disappointment. You know, I, I thought those suits were going to clean house. And they, yeah, get, right? you, they get clean. I, even on the rewatch, I was like, oh, yeah, they're going to wreck. And then I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. That's not how this goes at all. And in fact, uh, Tony, you know, he finds that, that Pepper has survived the procedure while Rhodes goes to save the president. But, but however, before he can like go grab her, you know, you think Pepper's dead and it's like, it's kind of crushing, but then Tony's like, I'm, you know, he, he's going to fight Killian. So he traps the Mark 42. He traps Killian within it and then he blows it up. But our boy's not dead. Is he? No, he survives it and he keeps trying to fight Tony and eventually Tony's just sitting there and it looks like Tony's done for, but then we get super pepper. Is that what we should call her? Super pepper? I mean, iron pepper. I don't know. I don't know. She, regardless, she's got some sweet powers and she just finishes off Killian with this extremist powers that she has. It's a, it's, it's a very bizarre plot, but I mean, basically she saves the day, right? She's the hero at the end. Kind of the role reversal there. Yeah, she saves him and, you know, she goes, I got you, right? And he's like, I had you first or something. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, you know, classic Tony there. But after the battle, in order to show his, uh, you know, love and devotion to Pepper, he has Jarvis implement the clean slate protocol, which basically destroys all the Iron Man suits. Uh, The vice president and... The fake Mandarin, they're arrested. Uh, in a voiceover, Tony mentions that he's cured Pepper. He undergoes a surgery that finally removes that shrapnel from, his, from near his heart, eliminating the need for a chess piece. And he throws the obsolete chess arc into the sea, and he makes this good, great quote about how he'll always be Iron Man. Uh, he gathers some scrap parts from his, wreck- his wreckage and drives off. Including he, dummy. Yeah. We don't get enough dummy in this one. No, we really don't. We really don't. Not as much as we did in the first two. I do like that he leaves Harley like a sweet new lab with like a potato gun. I really thought when I first heard about uh, some of the later movies that we'd get more Harley. In fact, we do get Harley at the funeral scene. But mm-hmm. he, you know, he, he leaves a little note that says this is from the mechanic. Post-credit scene for this one's a funny one. Because... I want to jump in right here. Yeah, go ahead. The, the part about Pepper being cured. Yeah, that's... How you cure somebody from that? Well, I guess it's kind of what Killian and Hanson were trying to go for all along is they knew Tony would find the missing pieces for the formula. The problem is, for me, would, like, does she still have powers? I mean, obviously she doesn't, yeah. but we don't see any. But it's like, what does cured mean? Like, it's completely gone. Maybe that, that missing hour that we're, you know. He's just yeah. sitting there testing Pepper for an hour. <laughs> yeah. It's, it isn't. I, what are your thoughts on the post credit scene? Weird. You know, and it's the, the only one, the only post credit scene that don't really kind of advance the next step or something down the road. 
Not at all. No. It doesn't advance the movies whatsoever, other than that saying Tony Stark will return, which is kind of cheesy. Yeah, but I guess the one thing it does set up is the friendship with Bruce and, and Tony as we head into Ultron. Yeah, that part is fun. It is funny that he falls asleep at the story because I'm sure the story was long and drawn out. Well, I wanted to fall asleep too while we were watching it. So, Oh, ouch. Again, throwing, throwing some heat. This takes us into our five favorite moments slash scenes and along with some of our favorite quotes. We'll go rotisserie style. I'll go first. I like the flashback opening. I like seeing what, like, the relationship between Happy and Tony, what Happy was wearing, us seeing that Tony was the same dirt bag as the Tony we got when he first entered the cave. Um, I think it's kind of, it was kind of a fun sequence. I enjoyed watching that. What is one of yours? Well, piggybacking off of the, the opening sequence for you, man, you start, you know, you hear the Marvel, you see the Marvel sign drop and you hear the blue by Eiffel 65, like, all right, it's 1999 again. It really is. <laughs> so it may seem silly, but that's my number one. Now, yeah, I played that song. So it, was, it either was on Now 4 or Now 5, if you remember those CDs. <laughs> and I played with friends the Now or with whatever one this was on, on repeat, over and over. And over. And I was their only now hit. listen up, here's the story. Yeah, all about the blue house, you know, the blue car, everything's blue. It's just, it's a weird song. And I don't, can't name another Eiffel 65 song, but I do I can't love, either. I do love that song. My second favorite scene, and I don't know why, I think I just like their back and forth. I like their chemistry on, on set. It's when Rody and Tony, when they're at the restaurant, and they're just kind of talking about the Mandarin, but he's just picking at him about the Iron Patriot thing. I just enjoy watching them on screen together. I wish we had more scenes of them interacting. So I'm going to go with Killian showing Pepper his technology and somewhat trying to seduce her while he's doing it, you know, creatively touching her on her arm. And, you know, it, it, was, it was so just sleazy. And, oh, yeah. and she's like the, enjoying it too she's kind of creeped out and enjoying it at the same time it's that classic like dude changes himself and he looks you know like a stud now and 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 she's falling for it it's uh <laughs> it's uh it's a weird it's a weird sequence and i didn't really like it because i'm like what are you doing pepper like tony used to be this big playboy have some wool well, to hear you're, you're the, buying the, into the flirting but going back to the effects, when he, you know, throws up that, you know, the first part where he, um, all I, is it the universe he throws up first and then he throws it, then he goes to a brain or something. He's well, trying to she, show off. She thinks it's the universe, but it is a brain the whole time. Cause he's like, pinch me, pinch me. And it like shows the nerves and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, that guy sucks. No, so I think I, he intentionally messed it up the first time to like, you know, kind of show off his tech. I could be wrong. I can go back and watch, but um, he was like, oh, this was the, what I meant to put up there. It was this. Ah, I, uh, well, now I'm, now you have me second guessing, but I do remember that she guessed. Go watch you. it again and get the three hour and 15 minute version. Yeah, I'll get the director's cut. Uh, the third one I have is when we get the reveal that the Mandarin is just like this, you know, he's got the two women in his bed. <laughs> he's got a beer in his hand. He's just kind of like, he's, Clearly drunk, 
and we find out that the whole thing is just a ruse. I, I do love that reveal. That was good. Uh, I got to go with the barrel monkey scene and then the later disappointment about it. it the, the, the scene was cool, right? But when they revealed that Stark wasn't in the suit when it happened, it just ruined it. I mean, just shattered it. My, my, my uh, happiness was shattered just like the, the suit was by that truck. And the hate you have, Iron Man. I mean, it's my, vitriol, right? It's, 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 I think, I think you have a, like a personal issue, something. Did, did someone beat you up one day and they're wearing an Iron Man suit, so now you just hate Iron Man? <laughs> <laughs> I like when he saves all the people from Air Force One. I enjoy the, the, I like how it's shot, like the effects that go into it. Oh, yeah. I do have a problem with it later on when we get in the questions corner on the, on the realistic scientific side of it, but I think it's, it's a fun scene. And I'm kind of concerned that his suit can only carry four people. You know, Rather, like, that was a, a, just like an arbitrary weird number that it's only four. One for each limb, and I don't know. I just I felt like he could be bigger than that, more powerful than that. Um, I'm going to go with the arrival of all the Iron Man suits there at the end, and then here we go again, disappointed by how crummy they were. You know, I mean, it was really kind of a neat moment when they all show up, and boom goes the dynamite. They're just all blown to pieces. Yeah, I'm – my so my fifth one is like the whole final showdown sequence. Um, I just like Tony Tony's plan of of throwing the Mark Forty Two on him. I thought was a good plan. Little did he know that it wouldn't work. Uh, but the whole that whole sequence, you get you get some more roadie kind of in there doing his thing. Um, that's kind of where I'm at. There's not a lot of great sequences to pull from. Though. That's the, that's the sad thing about this movie. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to go with the scene where um, the boy tells Tony to go build something. It kind of wakes him up, right? Yeah, you know, for he, sure. He goes to Lowe's and puts all this random crap in his cart, in his two carts, and it's all the stuff he needs to break into the Miami house. So that was kind of fun. Hey, the kid does pull him along in a, a very special way in this movie. That brings us into quotes. Uh, we'll go back. Give me your first quote. So when he's telling uh, the boy what he needs, you know, a laptop, a digital watch, a cell phone, the pneumatic actuator from your bazooka over there, a map of town, a big spring, and a tuna fish sandwich. I mean, if you're not wanting a tuna fish sandwich by the end of that sequence, then I don't know what's wrong with you. And that kind of goes into my first one where he goes, you know what keeps going through my head? Where's my sandwich? Like. Tony never skips a beat on his ability to patronize and be sarcastic. And he, he's even that way with a 10 year old boy. Yeah. It, it's, I do enjoy the sequence with Stark and the boy. That's, that's fun. So I'm going to go with, uh, you know, in the beginning when, when Maya shows back up at his house and then Stark says, please don't tell me there's a 12 year old kid in the car that I've never met. And Maya's <laughs> yeah. like 13. That was, that was pretty clever. Yes. Even though I know your hate for Maya, um, I, no, I, I like her. Like I liked her up until we'll get into that later. <laughs> um, I like when he's he's there with um, 
Aldrich Killian. It's towards the end, and, and Tony goes, okay, okay, wait, 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 slow down, slow down. You're right. I don't deserve her. Here's where you're wrong. She was already perfect. Wow. Yeah. Wow. What a, what a great what compliment a, to Pepper. Golly, that guy. I mean, I need to try to pull that same quote on my wife if I get the opportunity. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go remember that game, Barrel of Monkeys. This is how it is. We got to catch all the monkeys. I, I thought that was fun. I've played Barrel of Monkeys, right? So. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, I would imagine some of kids today don't even know what it is, but I do still remember Barrel of Monkeys. Um, I like his narration where this is at the end, where it says, My armor was never a distraction or a hobby. It was a cocoon. And now I'm a changed man. You can take away my house. All my tricks and toys, but one thing you can't take away, and I love this because we know how far this quote goes, I am Iron Man. Great stuff. Um, I love it when Rhodes pulls up and says, this is the Mandarin? <laughs> yeah. I know, right? It's embarrassing. Pretty that's, funny. That whole, yeah, that's the whole Trevor Slattery thing. I've got double-sided feelings on it, but yeah, it is funny. Um, my last quote is when Tony gets in Savin's car and he says, I can tell. You know how I can tell? Because we're connected. And he just mocks the kid. I, that was just, that's classic Tony. I thought you were supposed to have five quotes. So I, got, I did five. So um, you, you got to love the relationship with Stark and Happy. And this is one of my favorite lines when he says, I miss you, Happy. And Happy says, yeah, I miss you too, but the way it used to be. Now you're off with the Super Friends, which I always thought was a, a fun reference to the, you know, the Batman universe. Um, I don't know what's going on with you anymore. The world's getting weird. So, so here's where I'm going to throw you off. That, what, that is my fifth. You already had it listed. I do oh, okay. love And then, then Tony just puts the phone in like a refrigerator and walks off. Like, what a jerk. You know, sir, whenever I usually find that you have one that I did, I go the extra mile and choose another one for the, the listening enjoyment of our listeners. Well, for our listeners, I wanted to go straight into the Doctor Strange What If universe. Right. So we've got Aldrich Killian, who is played by Guy Pierce, but originally the role offered to Jude Law. Can you picture can you picture Jude Law in that beginning part where he's, you know, crippled and got the long hair and the bad teeth? I just I just can't see it. You know how I can see it? If you've ever seen the movie Contagion, his teeth are awful in it. And with movie magic, they didn't do anything. What what I struggle with is which villain would Jude Law have been better at? His Yon Rog one from Captain Marvel or this? Would he have been better as Aldrich Killian than that role? What 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 are your thoughts? I don't I don't love think the he, British villain. Yeah, I don't know that he would have done well as Aldrich Killian, but I do think Guy Pierce could have been Yon Rog. <laughs> if that makes any sense. I know. I I think he I think Guy Pierce could have been an excellent. It's a very it's very, you know, strange. That's why this is the Doctor Strange What If universe. Uh, Jessica Chastain is Maya Hansen. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, Zero Dark Thirty. I have not. She's excellent in it. I don't know how much she could have added to the character, the way the character was written. And not that the actress that plays Maya Hansen is bad, because she's great in the movie The Town. But 
I think Chastain would have brought a little something. I don't know. It's it would have been an I interesting. Think, I think we would have been wanting a little more out of her if it had been her. True. But True. That was before you know, um, the Martian, Interstellar, and some of the roles she's in that are um, a little more prominent. So I maybe she wasn't the Jessica Chastain as we know. True. Very true. And then here's one we don't talk. We don't get these often. But we kind of had already talked about the King speech. Tom Hooper, the director of that film, originally was a choice to direct this movie. I think we'd get an entirely different movie had that happened because you look at some of the movies he's done. So you're a soccer fan like me. The Damned United is a movie of his. It covers Leeds United back when they were a powerhouse. Good movie. The King's That had to have been a long time ago because I'm watching a show on Leeds United right now and they are in the championship fighting for a relegation or fighting for a promotion. Yes, um, this was in the uh, 70s and 80s. They actually ripped off a lot of titles and it's, it's, a good, it's, a, it's a good watch. I definitely recommend it. He did The King's Speech. He did Les Mis. He did The Danish Girl. Uh, so he's got movies that have stacked up, they've got nominations, he's won an Oscar. This would have been a very different film, I think, from a very experienced director. I wish they would have went with him. They could have gone with a number of different directors and maybe gotten <laughs> a different result, you know. True. Um, well, wouldn't you love to know what, what uh, John, our boy John Favs really thinks of this film? I would. Uh, he probably wouldn't say, though, because that's his boy, right? Shane Black? I mean, he did promote him. And in fact, Shane Black asked Fabs a lot on set for some, you know, kind of picked his brain. Apparently not too much. So into questions, we're at the Tony Stark questions corner. The why, the what, and all the things that don't make sense to us. I'll well, give one. Right, go ahead. I was going to say, we already talked about the Jensen one. You know, that was my first one. Um, you know. I think your second one is a great one. I wonder this every time I watch this movie. You know, so you look at him and you don't ever think that he's carrying a billfold or a money clip or a wallet or whatever. And he just, you know, ends up in Tennessee while people are, you know, after leaving his house because that's where Jarvis routed him. And he just happens to have all of his payment info on him, his wallet, his credit cards, you know, but he's able to bankroll whatever he needs. Except that he steals the keys of that guy's of the of uh, the villain's car, and takes off with it. You know, I, I just, uh, you know, it's tough. I wonder, like, when he's going shopping and he's buying all this stuff, does he keep a wallet in the Mark Forty Two? I don't know. He steals a poncho from that cigar shop. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. But he is Tony Stark, so maybe he found a way to get money. I I have no idea. And the kid doesn't have any money, so, you know. Oh, the kid's definitely not bankrolling him. Uh, the kid is just, just left there by himself all day. Uh, for me, I've got one, and I know I'm real nitpicky, but this one, I, when I watched it, I rewound it, and I was like, I don't understand. So the falling scene, I do love the falling scene. And so it takes eight seconds in the movie for the bodies to fall from 18,000 feet to 10,000 feet. And we know this because Jarvis is calling out, you know, the distance. Okay? It's really, really fast. But for the next 20 seconds, 
they don't fall that fast. They only get to like, you know, 9,000, like the, the timings, something's wrong with the science here. If they can fall that fast in the, that first descent, yet they slow down, what is their, their, they suddenly wait? I don't understand what's going on. As much as I loved that the detonation in the Avengers was exactly two minutes and 30 seconds, I do not like that this scene had such disparity in that. Maybe they're like the alien ship in Independence Day where it's like it's slowing down, sir. You know, yeah. the atmosphere. <laughs> I, it's, yeah, I don't know. I know I'm nitpicky, but that, I was like, come on, let's get it together. Let's have like, some type of consult on, on set. What's another one of yours? The suits were so crappy and non-combat ready. Why is this? It bothers me. It really bothers me. Come on, Tony Stark. You've know, you got to think- have some, some standards here. Do you think you he was the movie The Santa Claus? Yes, with Tim Allen. No, no, no. The Santa Claus, no E. The elves, um, they have a contest to see who could be Santa's assistant, and um, the elf <laughs> who wins, Patch, comes up with an automated system to make toys as opposed to like a handmade toy system, and um. But what happens is the automated system starts producing them so fast that they just get crummy and fall apart and break. And um, so that's sort of what I thought about with, with Tony and Suits, which is making them so fast that the attention to detail is just not there. For our fans out there, Graham is referencing the 1985 movie The Santa Claus starring Dudley Moore and John Lithow. Yes, Lithow. Yes, <laughs> I love that guy. And I do love him. He uh, was it Third Rock from the Sun. He was that was. I've awesome. got this on DVD. If you and you and and the wife ever want to watch it sometime, it's a it's a nice little movie. An it's Alexander Salkin piece. A Christmas movie, so I think I might be able to sell her on that. I think the thing was, it's Tony, got Burgess Meredith in it. <laughs> I think Tony would make. Let's say we were on Mark twenty three, and he'd be working on, it and he'd have an idea of something he needs to put on a suit so wherever he was at in production he didn't he just quickly moved to the next one because he had this new idea and this next idea it's kind of like when harley says is that like a cloaking device and he goes oh that's a good idea it's almost like he kept on coming up with these things without ever fully finishing the ones before and then it's like you know and real good his mental state it wasn't his best work but yeah it's still like it's still wild to me just like you uh here's my second one why does the president salute the iron patriot first the president is the commander in chief of the u.s military decorum would suggest the iron patriot salute him i didn't like that i don't Maybe i didn't actually a, res- a respectful president Oh, even never, nevertheless, and never in the history of the United States, like anytime a president greets a general, the general salutes him and then he salutes back. He's just like, this is the person who salutes first is basically saying the other is his superior. He's saying Iron Patriot is his superior. Hmm. I, I don't know. That's a, that's a great catch on your part to see that because I wouldn't have noticed that. I I don't I guess maybe with all the yeah you talk about the respect everything that goes on in our world right now I guess I just thought hey well that's a unique uh, piece of this movie what's another what if for you or what uh, what what useful role does Maya Henson play in this movie none right I mean it just doesn't 
there's nothing redeeming about her and she gets killed unnecessarily. I just don't see the point. It's like they wanted to go with like the je- the flip side, like if Aldrich Killian jealousy type thing with, with Pepper Tony, they wanted to do the female spectrum of that because Tony had, you know, had intimate relations with her, but they don't really explore that. So there is no point. You're right. It's a useless character. Um, how does extremists actually work? Like some stuff gets incinerated while other stuff like a dog tag doesn't sometimes clothes aren't when they're like glowing. Yeah. They can like melt other things. I'm just confused at the person's ability to control what is happening when you're going through the process. I got no answers for that. I just, I, when he's, when he's like, Oh, there's the dog tag. I'm like, why the heck did everything else get just destroyed and that survived? It's another, you know, that's why it's part of the questions corner. Uh, do you have any more? I do not. I, you know, well, I'll, I'll, well, you're looking at my last one. Maybe this is one you can help me out with. Where's shield. And why does, why can't Jarvis like help with anything in regards to security in the start compound? You know, that one bothered me too. Why are we just now, you know, when the, when the, the helicopter's at the door, going to alert him that, you know, something's going on. I don't, maybe it's, Jarvis is taking a day off. Jarvis is, Jarvis is slipping just like the Iron Man suits. That brings us into the snap. Like, what would we snap from this movie? Which that's my first snap. I'm snapping Jarvis's ability to protect the, the house. And the first Iron Man, Stane breaks into the house. Breaks in undetected. In this one, uh, Maya comes right to the front door without any alert. I mean, the doorbell actually gets, you know, she rings the doorbell. And then the helicopter attacks. I know they're disguised as, like, media helicopters. But couldn't Jarvis scan them and see that they're, like, fully functioning gunships? Come on, Jarvis. Yeah, I am snapping Maya Henson's role. As we said, she does nothing for the storyline. Her death is meaningless. Same old thing from the Tony Stark question. Just really stuck with me. Um, I felt like if she would have wound up helping him to escape before she died, then that would have maybe given her a little bit of purpose. Yeah, uh, it, something. Maybe that's part of that three hour and 15 minutes. Um, I am snapping extremists i'm i know it's part of the whole plot but it's just like they're what they're super it's like is it a version of super soldier serum basically i don't like we talked about with pepper how does it get cured the whole thing doesn't really get explained well enough for me yeah i am snapping all the suits being so crony and so crummy and tony's ability to make them do anything right to me that's just not iron man that's not that's not what we go to the movies for. How disappointed would you have been if you'd gone to a Batman movie and aside from like Batman and Robin yeah, come and on. Batman <laughs> is just totally helpless, you know, it, it's, I mean, it's kind of like, it's kind of like Tony is Superman finding crypto, like getting kryptonite around him. And he's just like, it's like everything is the kryptonite to those suits. And that's one of my snaps. Some of the iron army stuff. Like what an army they were! What a backup! And then I'm I'm sna- I'm snapping 
this is going to sound I'm snapping the fake Mandarin. And the reason why is they should have just used a real Mandarin. If that's one of the main villains in the comics, I, you could have just used the storyline where the actual Mandarin is out for revenge. And you can tie it back to the first movie where Tony wrecks havoc on the Ten Rings. Like it would have been great to have them go toe to toe and have this like psychopathic like figure. But then it turns out, oh, it's just like you talked about the poor writing. It's fun what Kingsley does with the role, but I just wish it would have been the real Mandarin. I wish we would have got that movie. Yeah, there's a great. That's a great point. Last but not least. I am snapping Iron Man 3. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, Fair enough. If you, if you eliminate Iron Man 3, the universe keeps on rocking. So, Well, I guess I'll know how you really feel. I'm, getting, I'm starting to get the hint when we get into Infinity Rank. But before we get there, the Villains Hall of Fame. This is where Graham and I rank the villain from this film. Would you like the honors or would you like me to bat lead off? I'll go first. So I'm going to go with um, Aldrin Kilich, the real, well, the the fake real Mandarin, because we don't know where that's going with the universe. But, you know, I, Ollie, I thought he, he was pretty good in the movie, Guy Pierce. So I'm going to go number 16. All right. Guy, that's Aldrin hey. Killian. I'm not far off. I am at 14. I have him, you know, mid-table. I think he has a great plan here. Like, as much as I hate that they didn't have, like, the real Mandarin part of the piece of that, like, if you think about the plan, he plays the long game, which some of your best villains in comics or comic movies, they can play the long game. And he's also the first villain within Iron Man that has, like, a form of superpowers with the extremist side piece of that. Um, and the big one for me is that he's really evil. Yeah. Like, he shoots Hanson, like, he tries to kill Pepper, <clears throat> he's on this, like, hell-bent thing to ruin Tony, and he's pre- he's a solid villain. He's much better than Whiplash. Yeah. And a note to the Amen corner, um, I'm really starting to have second thoughts about my listing Obadiah staying at number 19, so... Stay tuned. We may, there may be some adjusting there. I, okay, so get, that was my thing. I said he's better than Whiplash, but he's too over the top from Obadiah. And, you know, we had all high, how high I held Obadiah. I think he's just like a strong middle-of-the-pack guy that he almost <laughs> kills Tony. So we're around the same spot. This will be interesting for our listeners. We're into our infinity rank. I'm, I, I almost want to bet the house that you have this at 23, but go ahead and let us know. Tell us where you got it. What would the ha- what would betting the house entail? Like free lunch or something? Uh, well, I mean, you could just change it. You could just pivot immediately and tell me you have it at another number. So I'm going to go ahead and not actually make a bet, but go <laughs> ahead and tell me what's your number. For this. Okay, I've got Iron Man 3 ranked at number 21. Woo! So we still we, – so you've got 22 and 21 on the board. We'll stay tuned for 23. So you have it in front of Incredible Hulk, at least. I do. Um, I, I think it's a little more enjoyable to watch than Incredible Hulk, but you know, depending on what mood I am in, maybe those can swap a little bit. But I'm going to go with number 21. I have this. So I'm going to – this bumps uh, Thor 
Let's bump store down to 16 because I'm going to slide this into 17. So sadly enough, at 17 and at 18, I have Iron Man movies with Iron Man 2 at 18. I have this at 17. I still liked it more than Iron Man 2. Here's why. I think Kingsley and Pierce are better than what I got from Rourke. And I kind of like had they perfected the Tony being on the edge of madness, had they gotten that right, I think it could have been a better movie, but I like the stuff with the kid. Like I like the, that side of Tony. I like seeing Tony's mind work when he doesn't have the suit, but at the same time, I wanted more suit. Uh, I think because of what Guy Pierce brought to the role and some of the, you know, we have Cheadle, we have Rhodey kind of, battling and helping out there but some of the, all of the visual effects in this were a lot better than the effects in two i talked about how much i hated the sliced in car scene in two so i have this at 17 all right well i you know i'm glad you didn't have it above thor <laughs> no i flipped it i was like thor thor is thor i you know i I'm so I feel so bad at all the years that I've trash talked Thor. Let me tell you. Uh, so thoughts from our wives. I'm gonna yeah. be completely honest here. I was afraid, based upon all of the negativity surrounding this between you and I. I it, I watched this and she was not in the room. I didn't even show it to her. I was ashamed. I don't want my boy to look bad. So I have no quote for my wife. <laughs> So I was tempted to do the same thing and not make her watch it. Um, but she did. And uh, her thoughts were this was a more very violent movie. Like, you know, she thought it kind of crossed the line in terms of like when they're killing people so much. In the other movies, she thought, you know, they don't really show them, you know, being stabbed or shot or whatever. And, and this one you get, she, she thinks it's a lot more violent than the others. Now, True. I mean, you'll be happy to hear this. Oh she man, loved Ben Kingsley. Yeah. So, you may rest easy knowing that he's he's a heck of a talent. It's so wild that they the people that they bring into these movies. That brings us to final thoughts. I do have a note on the trailer. Um, when I first saw the trailer, and you see in the trailer, I I vividly remember the Iron Patriot landing and walking towards like the present stuff. And you hear this, you see Tony being dragged into the water and the mansion exploding, you know, blowing up and all those things. But they, they hint that more like the Mandarin's going to be the big villain. And that's what really drew me in and got me excited. Cause I started doing my research on who the Mandarin was and what all this meant. And then we get this movie. That's my thoughts on the trailer. I need to back up here real quick. Um, I'm looking over my written notes as opposed to my typed up notes. One other snap. It got, what, was that not the worst Stanley cameo? I thought the one in the Avengers was bad, but this one was worse. I can't right now off the top of my head. I can't even remember which one it was. Was it, was it another video loop? Sort of. Yes. He was on TV. I think. Yeah. Yes. I, yeah. I, I, it was in regards to the iron Patriot, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, And then I have one more note here that my wife wanted me to mention in here. There's one scene where there's a, there's a Christmas tree being set up and my wife goes, Hey, that's the Christmas tree my mom has. 
It was like one of those <laughs> three-piece trees or something. Hey, that is a piece of trivia, though, that in Shane Black movies, he ties in Christmas into all of them in some capacity, is what I read, that that's a, he's a big fan of Christmas. That's probably why that ended up in there. Ultimate letdowns. I guess that, that, that those would have been, you know, the, the Stan Lee thing would have been an ultimate letdown. The suits, I mean, we've gone through them. I think people know what my letdowns are. The whole movie. movie. The whole movie <laughs> is kind of a letdown in regards to, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said they rushed. They showed all three Iron Men within the first, what, six films? Yeah. And then with, you know, with Thor Ragnarok just came out in 20, what, 17? And that was the third for him. That's so, it was rushed. They did not phase. I know, obviously, they put Tony into different movies. Like, Civil War is technically Captain America's Civil War. And it's got a lot of Tony in it. But, uh, yeah, pretty pretty big letdown as far as the solo Iron Man films go. Final thoughts? So, um one thing I was thinking about while watching this movie was I feel like the Mandarin is like a poor man's Ra's al Ghul. You know, you see the similarities there from, from Batman Begins, how, you know, the person you think is the villain isn't really the villain. It's the other guy pulling the strings like Henry Ducard was in, in Batman Begins. And yeah, the Ra's al Ghul is a good comparison. Um, and so... I parlay that into, you know, it just comes up. When I say poor man's, it just it just doesn't measure up to the same kind of movie like like Batman Begins. And you know, I know we're not really comparing universes here. I, um, I was really really excited about this movie going into it and left really disappointed. And I just don't know how to reconcile that. You know. Um, I contributed to that 1.6 billion or whatever, 1.2 billion or whatever it was. <laughs> um, you also contributed to Hulk's budget box office numbers too. Well, but you know, I didn't have as high as expectations for Hulk either. Yeah. No, I hear you. you. Know, You're talking to the biggest I, Iron Man fan between the two of us. You know, after seeing Iron Man one, um, I realized the next one was Iron Man 2 before we saw Avengers, but I thought every Iron Man from here on out was going to be terrific. And his roles in the Avengers and Civil War and Spider-Man Homecoming, they're all great. He does fantastic. How how did we fail so miserably on these solo films? And that, my friend, is my final thought. My final thought is... What does the world, what does the Iron Man solo film look like had they spaced them out more like they did with the other big three? Like, you know, put in the time to find the proper director, to write the proper story. It would have been fun to watch. And I think maybe they realized how much they had failed is why they continue to add him to into so many other movies in such a large capacity. Like Spider-Man Homecoming, there's so much Iron Man in that, right? Like he plays, like he's a big role in that. And maybe, maybe they're just trying to strike while the iron is hot. <laughs> you know, like 
they know that they knew that it would be a success, you know, financially. And I think you see this a lot in Hollywood when sequel will get rushed out too soon. Well, that's the, that was my other final thought is that in, when it comes to trilogies, there aren't a lot of movies that can always get the third, that can get the third one, right. A lot of movies fell in that regard. Um, one of the biggest ones in my lifetime being a fan of the Godfather trilogy is Godfather three is not Godfather one and two. That's and, definitely the case. And this is the same thing here. It's not, it's not Iron Man one, but Iron Man two is also not very good. And it's like, I wish they could have gotten better. But speaking of getting things better, maybe we're not uh, going to be as thrilled about the next movie. But what are your final words on this? Any, anything extra on Iron Man? No, sir. I am tapped out on Iron Man 3. And I'm sure you're pumped and thrilled for the next one because we're heading into 2014's Thor Dark World. Bringing back Hemsworth, bringing back Portman, but adding in some twists along the way. I'm Luke Shoemaker. He's Graham Thomas. Thank you for listening to the MC. You can take away my house, all my tricks and toys. One thing you can't take away? I am Iron Man.